We are starting a new series this week, excited about the series. It's called The Church, What Are We? When we think of the church, you, this is pro, uh, not proper grammar, it should say who are we? But there's something that takes place in the scripture that God starts making statements of what the church is. The church is the body of Christ. That's not a who, it's a what. The church is a flock. The church is a family. A church is a temple. Temple's not a who, a temple's a what. The church is a royal priesthood. The church is a new humanity. It's a field. It's a building. God makes simple statements of just, this is what the church is. And what we're going to do through this nine-week series is we're going to explore those statements. Because inside of those statements, they come with so much power, they come with so much meaning, and they come with so much explanation. I tell you, in the study, as I was looking at them, like the flock, what is the flock? It's nothing more than a picture of our need for each other. I'm just giving you kind of a taste of where we're going for the next nine weeks. The body of Christ is not a, nothing but a picture of where we fun- how we function. The family of God is a picture of our environment. The temple of God is a picture of our connection. Do you see these statements are metaphorical statements that paint a picture in our mind that we understand them because we see the picture and we understand what a temple is, what a body is. And as these pictures are painted, we can understand clearly how God responds to us, how God reacts to us, and also how we should respond and react to him. This morning we're going to talk about the bride of Christ. Jesus refers to us as you are the bride of Christ. A metaphorical statement is painting a picture, but what is he trying to make a statement as? Is he saying you're the bride? What is he trying to get us to grasp? What is he trying to get us to understand? What's taking place when that statement's made in Scripture? Number one, the bride of Christ is a metaphorical picture of our relationship with Christ. How does God feel? What kind of relationship does he have with the angels? Um, if you were going to do a report and say, give a relationship that God has with the angels, uh, it wouldn't be a very long report because there's not a lot of information explained the relationship that he has with the angels. You have the angels worshiping him. You have the angels serving him. You have the angels doing a lot of things, but what kind of relationship does he have? What kind of relationship does he have with the demons? What kind of relationship does he have with Satan? You know, we can't go into an in-depth study trying to figure out what kind of relationship he has, and it's so far beyond our mind, we could not figure it out. But let's ask the question, what kind of relationship does he have with us? And what does he want to say, explain to us what kind of relationship he has with us? He does it in one statement. This is the relationship I want to have with you. You are the bride of Christ. Revelation 19, 7 Let us rejoice and be glad. Give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. This is God's emotion. The wedding is going to take place, and the bride has made herself ready, and there is a groom that is ready to receive the bride. How does God feel about you? I can tell you how I felt about being a groom. When my bride was in the back, getting ready to come down, I will tell you that I was emotionally moved. Everybody stands up, showing her honor, showing her glory, and I just sit back and say, she's coming down to me. She's going to be mine. She's beautiful. 
Tell me there was no emotion in me when my bride was getting ready to walk down the aisle and grooms. Tell me that there's no emotion in you when your bride was getting ready to walk down the aisle. When you hear the word, the bride of Christ, God is making a statement, and what is that statement? This is my emotion that I have for you. Someday you will be coming, presenting yourself to me, and I will have the same emotion that a groom has for her husband. Looked at my wife. She's beautiful. She's mine. I'm excited. I'm honored. I was emotionally moved. God is emotionally moved for us. Matthew 9, 14, 15 says, Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we, the Pharisees, fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of a bridegroom mourn when they are with them? And the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and they will fast. Fast is an explanation of mourning. And when this question was asked to Jesus, Jesus said, Why are we mourning? You're with the bridegroom. You're living with somebody that is rich, that is strong. Why are we mourning? No, we celebrate when you're with the bridegroom. I will tell you that the bridegroom is going to go away. In that time, you can mourn then. Why? Because you're longing for the bridegroom. But then we unfold revelation when the bridegroom comes back to us and you're no longer mourning again. This verse is given to us, Jesus explaining. These are the emotions we have when the bridegroom's with you. And these are the emotions we have when the bridegroom is away. So we might be thinking, okay, well, you know, God has a lot of emotions for me. He carries a lot of emotions for me. And I see him. I see him at the cross. I don't have much emotions for him. How do we get those emotions for him? We want to continue to look at this concept of the bride of Christ under the context of that picture. Number two, if we're going to look at our emotions for Christ, let's look at the context Our relationship with Christ should be based on commitment. I've done many marriages, many weddings, many marriages, yeah, many weddings. And as we do weddings, I'll tell you, um, I know how to do them. (laughs) In one sense, that when the two come up here and they start talking to each other, uh, I don't use the phrase, okay, you tell that person how much you love that person, and then we go through that system. You tell that person how much you love that person, and then I will make a celebration, then we'll go. That's not how we do weddings. The way that we do weddings is people will come up, they face each other, I say repeat after me, and they make nothing more than bare bone strength commitments. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. There's no I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel. There is I will. Why does a commitment take place in a marriage? Because there is zero love without commitment. You are incapable of having love without commitment to your wife, to your husband, and also to God. What do you mean you're incapable of having love without commitment? I'll just give you a fast example. When somebody gets married, um, they give themselves and make themselves physically naked to their mate that night. We don't need to go into detail with that. But they're exposing themselves completely naked. Number two... They also get emotionally naked with, with each other. Their secrets, their deepest fears, their struggles, their sins, their hopes, their desires. You see what's taking place after the wedding is they're not only exposing themselves physically, they're going to start a life exposing themselves completely and entirely emotionally. 
They are giving themselves what? Away emotionally to the person as well. They also give themselves socially. They get themselves socially naked in a sense that we'll support each other. We will walk together. We will live together. We will strive together. We'll set goals together. The only way to get that is to expose ourselves and expose our hearts and expose our emotions. So when that act takes place, there's a deep sense of love that happens, a deep sense of love that grows, and a deep sense of love that gets intense all the way through life. Let me tell you a way that you can break it. Expose yourself physically to another person besides your wife. Expose yourself naked emotionally to somebody else besides your husband. Expose yourself socially to somebody else besides your mate. Now, when you do that, what you have done is that you are breaking the core of exclusivity, and exclusivity is the heartbeat of emotion when it comes to love. It's the heartbeat of love. Therefore, somebody that does step out, side of commitment, he doesn't ruin love for necessarily the person, but he ruins love for himself. He ruins love for herself if they step out. And the reason why is because the exclusivity is the heartbeat of love. So pretend somebody steps out, what does that person start doing after a person steps out? He feels empty. He feels starving. He feels like, I don't know her, and I can't know her. I have no love. So he starts to make, she starts to make commitments again. Do I go back to this commitment here, or do I go back to this commitment here? Because I've destroyed love for myself, because I've destroyed commitments. There is no love without commitment, and the heartbeat of love is commitment. Now, we know that in a marriage relationship. Let's look in the context of the bride of Christ. Is that how God feels about us? 2 Corinthians eleven two, I am a jealous God for you with godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. I am, Jesus is going to make a commitment to us, and he wants us to love us, love him so much, and the only way that you will be able to is if you say, I'm going to make a commitment to you, or otherwise love will never start with God. Jeremiah 23, 32, or 2, 32, does a maiden forget her jewelry, a bride her wedding, ornaments? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Jeremiah is just making a statement as, Brides don't forget their jewelry. Brides do not forget their wedding ornaments. Um, I agree with Jeremiah. I've never seen a bride getting ready to come down the aisle and say, oh no, I forgot to put my makeup on. Can you wait and then leave and go put her makeup on before she comes down? Or she might say, oh no, I forgot to put my wedding dress on. No, brides don't do that. When a bride is ready to come down the aisle, the bride is prepared. The bride is not forgetting what's taking place. The bride is not forgetting of what she's committing to, of what's happening, because this is the most glorious day of her life as she embraces her husband. But this statement is made under the bride of Christ in a sense of us in God. Brides don't forget that. But my people forgive me. Is there a commitment between me and my people? Jeremiah 2, 13 says, My people have committed two sins. Now, this is the same chapter in Isaiah or Jeremiah that is mentioned below. 
two sins. They have forsaken me, the springs of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. What is this saying? They have rejected the spring of living water that makes them so full, so happy, so rejoicing under the bridegroom, and they have chosen to step outside of this relationship and almost prostitute themselves in other systems. And as they do that, they're rejecting the springs of flowing water. Power of commitment must be there for our relationship with God. There's a passage in Proverbs that talks about a husband and wife, but it's the same parallel passage talking about the bride of Christ in Jeremiah. This is talking about the husband and wife. Drink water from your own cistern. Running water from your own well. Should springs overflow in the streets? Your streams of water in the public squares? Let them be yours alone. Never be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, and may you ever be captivated by her love. Because if you share your love somewhere else, you are ruining your love with the one that you're supposed to have. The richest part is exclusivity in a marriage relationship. I'm exclusive to my wife and my wife alone, and if I start grabbing other things, my love starts to die for her. Same way with God. My exclusivity of my love for God is God and God alone, but if I make other priorities beside him, my love will start fading for God. Jeremiah 3.20, But like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you have been unfaithful to me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. James 4.4, You adulterous people, don't you know that the friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. There's a powerful statement when God's saying to his church, you are the bride of Christ. The powerful statement is the foundation of our relationship is commitment. Do you have it specifically with God? Number three, our relationship with Christ should be driven by sacrifice. There is no love without commitment. There is no love without sacrifice. Just give you an example of no love without sacrifice. If somebody um, comes to my office and says, you know, Jefferson Baptist Church is a, um, a church that I just really don't like, and uh, it's uh, ridiculous in this area, I don't like it in this area, it's not doing this, it's not doing this, and I'm just really not impressed with Jefferson Baptist Church. We don't mind conversations like that, but there is one thing that we could evaluate in a conversation like that. Number one is they are not connected, they don't serve, they, they don't give, um, they don't show up on a consistent basis. What happens is that your love for the church only comes from your sacrifice to the church. Do you know it's a church strategy to tell people that you want to tithe to your church? Because those who tithe to the church fall in love with the church because love only comes when sacrifice takes place. It's the same way with your mate the same with your wife. It's the same way with your husband. I had two people sit in my office one time, and, and the goal, you can tell their goal, was you tell my husband he needs to give this to me, and her goal was you tell my, or his goal was you tell my wife she needs to give this to me, and therefore it's your job. <laughs> and I said, well, let's wait a second. How about if you just sacrifice without the expectation of receiving anything? And he's like, what? It's like, if you do 
you will fall in love with the person because you only fall in love with the item or the person that you sacrifice for. That's why so many people are devoted to their jobs and they will not quit. They will sacrifice their family. They will sacrifice everything because they sacrifice so much for their job that they fall in love with it so much that nothing else really matters. It's a love relationship with the job because it's a sacrificial relationship with a job. There is no love without sacrifice. And the extent of sacrifice that you give is the extent of love that you will have for your mate, for your church, for your job, if that's where you're going to go, and also for God. Husbands, or Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her from washing with water through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. Here's Paul making a statement. Husbands, love your wife. And just like God loved the church, what did he do for the church? He gave himself entirely for the church, but there's almost a celebration that comes after that verse because I made her holy, I made her a sanctified her, I made her beautiful. Everything started coming God's way because of the sacrifice. Not necessarily coming God's way even because he's king of kings and lord of lords, but there is a sacrifice that takes place and there's a movement of love from the church that responds because of that sacrifice. And also there's a movement of God that loves us because of his sacrifice. He gave a lot, therefore he loves a lot. And he loves more and more and more because he gave. Number four, our relationship with Christ should be fueled with love and fixed on celebration. Now God is a king and we are his servants. And he could have said to the church, I want you to have this relationship, a king-servant relationship. Uh, What would that look like? It would be a picture that we can paint up here and a sermon that we can do, a king-servant relationship. But I will tell you, it wouldn't be a very exciting sermon because it would kind of be bones. It would kind of be cold, kind of be, totally be, um, have no life in it. God is a master and we are his slaves. What kind of sermon would that be? I mean, he's the king, he's the Lord. Lord is that we follow him and we are his slaves. Would that be a decent sermon? It wouldn't be a decent sermon at all. You look at judge and the one that's being prosecuted. Now there's a good sermon. We know that God is a judge and and here we go. What we're going to do is we're going to paint a picture of our relationship with God. He is the judge and we are the ones that are in the prosecuting chair kind of emotion would fill this room? What kind of love would fill this room? What kind of excitement, what kind of energy, what kind of celebration would fill the room? Maybe the same kind of emotion that took place on Thursday during the Kavanaugh thing. I mean, I don't, don't mean to bring that up, but it would be flat. It would be dead. It would be lifeless. God doesn't want that. He makes another statement. You are the bride of Christ. Why does he say that? Because he wants us to feel the emotions of the moment. He wants to feel the emotions of who he is in regards to us and who we should be in regards to him. Do we understand that concept? Absolutely we understand that concept. Because I do a lot of weddings, and when I do a lot of weddings, I have a groom that's standing right next to me. 
And as this groom is standing right next to me, there's a door that opens, and when that door opens, there comes a bride and there comes a father. Everybody in the room is ready to go because as soon as, as, soon as she takes her spot, everybody stands up. And when they stand up, they show her honor, they show her respect, they show her love, they show her support, and I tell you, she looks beautiful. Never seen a bride that does not look beautiful. Now, what does the groom feel? I always talk to the groom when the bride comes down, just for the fun of it. You'll never forget this moment. <laughs> I know. Uh, I also see the emotions of the groom. Tears running down the face, often. Broken voice, often. Feeling honored, feeling strong, feeling good, often. There is not no emotion in the room. There is an extreme amount of emotion that has taken place. That's why, but what kind of emotion is it? Fueled with love and fixed and fired with celebration. That's the kind of emotion that should be there in this relationship. Isaiah 61.10 gives a description of the emotion. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. Remember, he is a judge. But this author, Isaiah, is saying, he's a judge, but my soul rejoices. For he has clothed me with a garment of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and a bride adorns herself with jewels. Here is an emotions that are coming from the bride, the emotions that God wants to have for him. What are we saying? He's saying, I am arrayed with a robe of righteousness and my excitement is clean. You ever looked at the history of a wedding dress? Wedding dresses are white. Why? Uh, they're white because white is a sign of purity, a sign of being clean. What does a wedding dress do? Wedding dress um, hides every single um, scar that a wife might have, every single flaw that they could have. A wedding dress is, I am absolutely clean, and I'm absolutely beautiful, and there's, like I said before, never seen a bride that's not beautiful. Why? Because they're hidden in the wedding dress. Wedding dress signifies nothing more than a cross, being clean, being pure. One day when we come in before God, we will be clean, we will be pure, we will be righteous, and the uh, groom would be ready to take you as you are. Isaiah 62 gives the groom's emotions. As a young man marries a maiden, so will your sons marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. This is supposed to convict us with emotions when we hear the word, you are the bride of Christ. Number five, our relationship with Christ has future glory that is inconceivable. We live in a, a culture, and we are um, tainted by the culture. And uh, what I mean by being tainted by the culture is we kind of go where the culture um, takes us. Um, when it comes in form of marriage and it comes in form of looking at a model to marriage, the culture has had a major influence. I just have a chart that I would like to put on the screen that just explains kind of the American culture of us falling in love uh, with our mate. So as that chart goes up there, this is just uh, this is going to be us here. Now this is our adolescent stages. We were born here, then adolescent stages here. Then we do something like courting. This is getting us ready for marriage, 
and then as we court, we have our wedding, and then we have our marriage there. Now, this is just a typical chart that all of us live into, live with. Now, you might say, well, hold on a second, there's only one marriage that takes place here. Well, there's some people that make goals in their life. I want three children, but nobody ever makes a goal in their life. I want three marriages. Uh, the reason why they don't make that goal in their life, because every time they go to here, they're expecting they're going to be married once. Even if they've been married three times, four times, six times, every time they do it, they expect to be married once. And this is the model that they walk into the marriage. So looking at our American culture, this area right here is what? This is the area that we fall in love. And uh, after we fall in love, then we start going, okay, now that we're in love, we'll start making commitments. So they make commitments in the wedding, and then the marriage part is when they survive the relationship. Um, we don't really say that out loud, <laughs> but, um, but that's the way it is. And the reason why that's the way it is is because in the way that we say it, is we make stupid comments that come out of our mouth. Um, you know, this really isn't working out anymore. Um, I think that we should probably separate. Where does a stupid comment like that come from? It comes from back then we were in love, and this is what's driving us, is this we're love here, and now we're just trying to survive since so it's not working out anymore. Maybe I will try it again. You ever heard the comment? It's, I don't think we're in love anymore. The reason why people don't feel like they're in love anymore is because they are in love here and they're not in love there and they start going back. I also hear the comments, let's just remain married until our children are gone and let's go our separate ways. Well, what's the separate ways? The separate ways is they're going to go back and they're going to try to find love again with somebody else. This is a model that has been grained into our system and it's the American model. It's the model that we walk into. But the problem with it is it's anti-biblical. God has a different model. Let's look at God's model. Here's a courting. Here's a wedding. Here's a marriage. But what happens during the courting? Observe. <laughs> Doesn't that sound romantic? <laughs> Anybody walks in my office, hey, we want to get married. Why? Because I'm in love. Well, hold on a second. No, let's not be in love. Let's just observe. Observe what? The marriage is for one thing. Marriage is where you fall in love. So what happens when you walk into a marriage, there's just one thing you've got to observe. Is this person wanting to fall in love with me for the rest of my life? Is this person wanting to climb the mountains and wanting to climb the valleys for the rest of my life? I'm not going to let emotion take control yet. We let emotion take control here. I don't want emotion to take control because this is only one year, two year, three year. This is only 20 minutes and this is a lifetime. All this is being completely rushed. God's model is look back, tell my daughters, look back, observe. Are you willing to fall in love with that person through the mountains, the valleys, the, the, the canyons, everything that's going to take place, the wilderness? And is that person willing to fall in, the, fall in love with you during the mountains and valleys? Because God's model is at your five-year anniversary, you should be in love with your wife more than your wedding date. A 10-year anniversary, you should be in love with your husband more than the 5-year anniversary. At the 15-year anniversary, you should be in love with more than the 10-year anniversary. The wedding day is not a celebration of the love that you have, but the wedding day is a start of a relationship that is going to last where your love will grow. What takes place during this process? Begin to explain it again. You get naked emotionally. 
You get naked physically. You get naked socially. There's a level that is going to take place after a wedding that will intensify to the greatest degree, and that intensity is designed to grow stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger every moment, every year, every century that passes in your relationship. This is God's model, and how do we know that it is God's model? Is because one day there is going to be a wedding. The bridegroom is going to come for his bride. God is going to come for his church. And it's not the end of what took place here. It's the beginning of an intensive relationship that will last for eternity. Revelation 19, 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. We're not looking forward to a moment where we've completed it and it's done, but we're looking forward to a moment where we're going to get naked before God, naked emotionally, naked spiritually. Our whole self is going to be known. In fact, one of powerful statements is that God says is that there will be a day that I will be fully known. Fully known. What is that day? It's the wedding day with the church. Revelation 21, 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautiful dress for her husband. And I heard a voice, loud voice, from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with man. There's a big statement there. A celebration. Now the dwelling of God is with man, and he will live with them. This has a lot of weight that has taken place in the marriage when the bridegroom comes to us. And the weight is there will be a day when God is dwelling with man and man with him. How intense is this marriage? How intense is this relationship? Um, Let's just look at A and B to figure out how intense this is going to take place once it happens. Because remember, it's a start of a growing relationship rather than a stop of a relationship that is now. Letter A, when the bridegroom comes for his bride, mystery will one day be disclosed. We don't have there all the information in the Bible. We just don't. In fact, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, you know, I give you what is in the Word, but I'm holding some things back. And when I hold these things back, there will be a day that there will be a disclosure that is going to be huge. One thing that he is holding back is found in Ephesians 5.31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We hear that all the time in almost every wedding, and we have an explanation of what it means. But watch the second verse. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and his church. What is that mystery when we will be one flesh with Christ? Your answer should be, I don't know. (laughs) And the reason why is because it's a mystery. And by explaining it, you want to understand the depths of mystery that is going to take place the day that we see God. Now, we can tamper with it, and we can play with the mystery a little bit, and scholars try to figure out it and try to take a human mind and, and understand it, and, but we don't know the answer, but let's play with it for a little bit. Genesis 2, 22 through 25. 
we see Adam and Eve joined together. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto, man, unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. What is this? In the middle of this passage, verse 23, is nothing but a, an emotional song that Adam says. There's almost, there is a sense where Adam goes, alas, alas, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She's going to be called woman, and she is mine. This is not just a crude statement. This is not just an explanation of what's taking place. This is a song coming from Adam, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm now complete. I'm now exposed. I am now can be known. I can now be feel loved. There was an emptiness that was taking place in Adam before the woman was made. Is there an emptiness that takes place in us before we come to the bridegroom? There is an emptiness that takes place. And what's going to happen? I think we'll be breaking out in a song like this. But as we're breaking out of a song, what's going to be our statement? Finally, would it be? I'm complete. Finally, I'm known. Finally, every emotional feeling that I have and that I need as a human being has now been met and has been met with Christ. Is that an explanation? No, it's just a, a mystery. A mystery that is going to be a lot thicker than we think it is. Also look at this back passage, 25. And they're both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. It's interesting, he just throws that in there. The author just throws that in there. But he is making a statement. You will be exposed. And God will be exposed to you and all peace will be granted. No shame, no weight, complete peace. Let her be. When a bridegroom comes for his bride, all things will be new. Modern people are fascinated with the new. We walk into um, malls, and we walk into the malls, there's a fresh scent. And as there's a fresh scent, we continue to walk around and say, oh, if I could only have that. We didn't know we needed it before we walked in there, but when we walk in there, we definitely need it now. Why? Because there's a fascination with the new. Fascination with new items. Fascination with new cars. Fascination with new relationships. Fascination with new everything. Completely fascinated. Is that wrong? No, it's not wrong. It's built into our hardware. And uh, when God created us, he wanted us to be fascinated with the new. Because one day, the bridegroom is going to come and there is going to be new happen. Let's look at it. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride, beautiful, dressed for her husband, and I am making everything new. We read this verse and we think, okay, there's a new heaven, there's a new earth, there's a new Jerusalem. But the last part is saying, I am making 
I did not make everything new. I am making everything new. Making a statement that the new heaven and the new earth is not fading. It's a verb in the Greek that is a consistent process of the starvation of new will always come to you. Think of your wedding date and think of that one day that was glorious. And don't think of all the money went into it. Just think of that one day that was glorious. And when you think of that one day that was glorious, think of how rich, how good, how rich your mind was. You can always look back. I always look back at it. But in heaven, after the bridegroom comes, every day will be better than the last. Every, so you think is new, will be newer the next day and newer the next day. That freshness will consistently come in a relationship where we will not only live one day as a wedding, but every day would be consistent growth in the process of the wedding of the Lamb for an entire eternity. Number six, the church, being referred to as the bride of Christ, should excite us, motivate us to love him like he loves us. There's a statement that is given to us. You are the bride of Christ. That statement is given to us of how God feels about us. But we understand what a wedding is like. And we understand what the bride and the the groom is like. We understand all of that. But how does it make us feel when we hear the words, there is a bridegroom that loves us in this way, and you are the bride, and one day you are going to be even closer than you've ever been before. How does it make us feel? Does it excite us? Does it motivate us? Does it make us want to love him? This is the heartbeat of Scripture, because you hear the two most important commandments is love God and love others. What is that saying? That's saying this is what it's all about. This is what your relationship is all about. This is what your life should be all about. And we understand love because we're all starving for it. And here God is making a statement. Everything that you are starving for can be complete entirely in him. And also will not only be complete in him, but will be continued to be complete for an eternity when the bridegroom comes. Does it touch you? Does it change you? Father, we just um, thank you for the picture of the bride of Christ. God, I know my emotions when I got married. God, my emotions are going to be so much deeper when, when uh, um, the bridegroom comes for us. All of our emotions will be so much deeper when the bridegroom comes for us. God, I just pray that this simple concept, this metaphorical statement, God, would be on the forefront of our minds as we go through life. Oftentimes, God, we feel like we're alone. Oftentimes we feel like we're depressed, that the world is against us, and we often find times that uh, we just don't believe in you because we don't feel you, we don't see you. But God, help us to hold on to these words that we are your bride, and you love us like a groom loves her bride. Help that to move us, touch us, and change us. In Christ's name, amen.